0: I'm Liz Ware, and I'm Raelle Bell, and you're listening to That's Brilliant, a podcast by the American Lighting Association. This is a very exciting episode for us because it's like a full circle moment, and I guess it means we've been on the air long enough to have a repeat guest.
1: One of our most listened to episodes is our first episode about circadian lighting, and Partially because we did that topic, ALA took that idea and ran with it.
2: <laughs>
0: take all the credit there. <laughs> Conversations had already been happening about the Better Light, Better Sleep program, but we can take a little bit of credit for for putting take some a little bit,
1: bit of credit. Standby, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm gonna stand by it.
0: I'm taking. I'm on behalf of ALA. I'm taking some credit. <laughs> hey, you you deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the topic is obviously out there now. We're discussing the Better Light, Better Sleep program, which is a program that ALA with the Light and Health Research Center at Mount Sinai has worked with ALA member manufacturers to develop products that are circadian friendly lighting products. Instead of listening to the old podcast episode and
1: trying to figure out how you can have circadian effective lighting in your home cobbled together, hoping it'll be effective or not, there are actual products that have actually been designed and tested to be circadian effective and beautiful and things that will go in your home just like
0: any other light and you don't have to figure it all out. Exactly. And so our guests today are Jen Bronze, who, like we said, was on our first episode of our podcast. She's the research program director at the Light and Health Research Center at Mount Sinai. And then we also have our wonderful Terry McGowan, who is ALA's director of engineering and technology Little known fact, Terry was actually on that first episode of the podcast <laughs> and not, had no fault of his own, but just because we spoke for way too long and we ended up having to cut the end of it out. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of people on that episode. So, yeah, sorry, Terry. We've tried to make up for it. Yeah, since then, we have never tried to do three guests so at the same time again. <laughs> But yes, we're going to talk with Jen and Terry about what they have done with the Better Light, Better Sleep program and where we're seeing it going in the future. So look forward to hearing from them. Before we jump into our conversation, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Hinkley and Kitchler Lighting for supporting this podcast. Welcome, Jen and Terry. It's so nice to talk to you. Hi, Liz. Thanks for the opportunity.
3: And thanks, Liz. It's uh, always good to be on this program.
1: You're such a stranger to this show, Terry. <laughs> I,
3: I try to use a different voice each time. So they right,
0: there the you words. go. <laughs> well, and Jen, we're so glad to have you back. This is like a full circle moment for Liz and I, since you were our very first podcast guest, <laughs> you and Mark Ray, when we launched our first episode, gosh, almost two years ago now.
2: Hi, Raelle. Thanks for the the chance to talk about what we've been doing with the ALA as a researcher and a designer at the Light and Health Research Center at Mount Sinai. We're so excited to be sharing what we've been learning in the field with the real manufacturers that are designing beautiful products to bring lighting to their homes that are circadian effective. Yeah, so it's great to have you here. And last time we
0: spoke, it was a concept. We were talking about what this program that ALA with Light and Health Research Center, what we were going to do. Now we have done that. So let's talk a little bit about what has gone on over the past one or two years here with the Better Light, Better Sleep program that ALA is part of with Mount Sinai Light and Health Research Center.
2: Yeah, so there's been a lot of work from within the ALA to gather together manufacturers to support a new program. And Terry can talk more about that as well. But the role we've played is to work with the manufacturers to tell them about how to achieve circadian effective lighting in the homes, either using products they already have and giving them some nudges here and there, or designing entirely new products. So there have been some prototype products that they developed and sent to us for some preliminary testing. And the kind of features that they have been incorporating into their product are two or three different things. First of all, they need to be able to achieve high light levels in the morning. And we gave them a particular light level they uh, target to achieve. And then conversely, they need to be able to achieve lower light levels in the evening. And there's a limit or a limbo bar they had to be under in the evening. Also, they needed to limit glare by limiting the luminance, essentially how bright the thing looks to their customer's eyes. So those are the three main things that we tested for 10 different products uh, that were sent to us. So it was very interesting to over the summer in 2023, we did some testing and compiled those results for ALA. So let's back up a little bit. ALA member lighting manufacturers have
1: been making lighting for some of them a hundred years, I'm sure. So we've got a lot of experience with these lighting manufacturers. Terry, talk a little bit about how it was to And some of them maybe jumped right in. Maybe some needed a little convincing to teach them a new way and new considerations for making lighting, which they do all day, every day.
3: Yeah, this was probably my most exciting time as we started this program. We have groups of manufacturers, of course. And the minute they heard circadian lighting, what's that? And when they learned, they said, oh, this goes beyond what we usually do. Is this an opportunity or what do we have to do here? And it turns out that it really is quality lighting. It improves the quality of lighting in the home. That's what it's all about. We're not turning the home into a medical center or anything like that. We're really saying, this is the way space should be lighted. Once upon a time, I had a question years ago when I first started lighting. It says, what is the perfect lighted environment? And at that time, office lighting was, of course, the main thing. And the answer was very simple. The perfect lighting environment for an office is as if you were sitting underneath the shade of a large tree on a sunny day. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, how do you do that? That's thousands of foot candles. That's glared. And, and they said, no, imagine this. You're, you're sitting there, you're reading a book or whatever you're doing. And this is perfect. The sky is bright, you're in the shade, you're looking around at these things. It's a marvelous place. People go thousands of miles to sit in that kind of environment. So how do we do that indoors? Well, it's quality lighting, and that is really more than lumens or foot candles or fixtures on the wall. It's really something that says here is what we need to be content, to be happy, to be healthy, to see well, all of those positive things about lighting that we really know, And so our task here was to take that idea and say, what's a natural environment? How can we put that into the home? And the reason that's important for circadian lighting is, of course, people are in their homes, usually at the beginning and the end of the day. And this is what some of the research that Jen knows very well is what it's all about, because that is when you need the bright days and the dim afternoons, dim evenings that make up really the real recipe for circadian lighting. So once our fixture manufacturers understood that and got that into really a thought process, all of a sudden we started seeing ideas for fixtures and talking about fixtures. Is that light bright enough? Is this in the right position? What can we do to change the light distribution? What's the appearance look like if we do that? Is it too bright? And Jen mentioned glare. Uh, one of the presidents of the IES years ago had a good name for it. He called it the demon glare. And <laughs> he spent his whole term trying to get rid of the, the glare from a certain lighting equipment. But the glare has always been a problem. And if we can control glare and make the environment pleasant and interesting and friendly for people, it's going to just get high marks no matter what you do. And I think residential lighting is ideally positioned to do that.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. People are spending more and more time in their home. I know for me, I am at my home, not just at the beginning and end of the day. I'm there all day, pretty much, well,
3: <laughs> up one area. <laughs> that, that is a very important point, Ariel. because how many people today have a home office? Now, I I'm here all day as well, and I like daylight, so I'm sitting next to a window, but I know I'm going to need that supplementary illumination from time to time. And screens are not the way to get it. Screens are actually a negative, especially later in the day when screen illumination may be a a real negative. So you have to control that. And there are ways to do that, of course, but it's really the environmental lighting around you that makes the difference.
0: Yeah, so on that note, let's talk about another important aspect of what you measured when you were evaluating these light fixtures, the use cases and where these fixtures will be placed in a home and and how. How did you do that? What needs to be considered there?
2: For the first round of products that we, we looked at, each of the manufacturers decided for themselves what the geometries and room types and use cases were for their product. So they told us how far away and how far from the center line of their vision they expected their product to be mounted. And we reproduced that in our photometric laboratories at the Light and Health Research Center. And we took our light meters and measured at those locations to make sure that we had enough light in the morning time and would have not too much in the evening and able to, of course, turn off at some point as well. So that's how the use cases were developed by each of the manufacturers for that first round. And I'm sure we'll be working more to try to streamline that for manufacturers to participate. But really thinking about not just the design of a product, but how it's used. It's essentially application, how to design the use of your product. And it's very important in our homes.
1: For those who are just tuning in, Jen, why don't you go over one, two, three of what a circadian effective light is? Because you're talking about eye lines, for instance probably not light coming down from the ceiling. So talk a little bit about those kinds of considerations just briefly. And you can also listen to episode one of the podcast and get a really detailed (laughs) list of everything.
2: Yes, Liz, it hasn't changed since episode one. And in fact, it probably hasn't changed since long before we were sitting under trees reading books. It's probably been going on a million years or something. But for all species have different behaviors and different cellular functions by day than by night. So the way our body orchestrates how we're healing and how we're digesting food and building muscle mass and and so forth by day and by night is orchestrated by a part of our brain that sends out a message to our body to say, hey, guys, it's nighttime. We're time to switch into night mode, essentially. (laughs) So we are measuring how effective a light source can be at affecting your time clock. And then we're applying that light source in the morning to continuously keep our body clocks on schedule because if you put someone at the bottom of a mine shaft for six weeks they're going to keep drifting later and later offset from all those of us that are above ground and, and enjoying the daylight so our natural body clocks are a little more than 24 hours and we need light to keep us entrained on the same pattern as everyone else that's around us in the society at large so that's why we need light in the mornings to get us a jump start on our day. And every day, more or less, as much like diet and exercise, a regular dose of high light levels in our mornings really helps our bodies to stay entrained, if you will. And And, we have to get that through our eyes. The light needs to go through our eyes, not the back of our knees or or through our skin. Once it gets into our eyes, then it goes right into that part of our brain that's right in the middle there. And then it sends out the message to everything else in our bodies.
1: So what are some of the features of this new lighting you've been developing? How is it different from something that you already have in your home?
2: Liz, at our labs, we build our own crazy light fixtures and put all these Frankenstein parts together to create a soft and comfortable diffuse light source that's just a, a soft cloud of light. But it's actually quite a lot of light at our eyes. And we, we've been putting these light sources in the homes of our research participants, and we measure how well they sleep as a result in depression scores and agitation scores. And we're able to show that even with degenerative medical conditions such as Alzheimer's, we're able to improve all those features for many of our participants by giving them light in their mornings. It doesn't have to be for people that are suffering from medical conditions. All of us need bright light in our mornings and dim lights in our evenings if we are day active people. Unless we're working the night shift, then you might have to change some things around. But for day active people, we're trying to help with their health of their body and improve their sleep by having that light in their mornings. So some of the features that people have that we build in the labs are a soft diffuser around a light source to smear that the flux, the lumens out over a wide area. And when that kind of goes in contrast to some of the trends in light fixture design, when there's a lot of exposed light sources and tiny little skinny lines of light are also very trendy in in light lighting design. So that's a kind of a new thought process that the manufacturers were learning about as they listened to us as they started their process of designing products. But yeah, large lamp shades, almost like Chinese lantern shades, are the things that we've been using in the lab, and our manufacturers have have used all kinds of different sources to more elegantly bring the light to their customers in the future. So I think we'll see lots of lovely light sources that are portables and some ceiling and wall-mounted products in the environment. So it's not a tiny little light source that's shining right down on the tip of your nose. It's coming at you. I'll look at the side coming at you from the side over a large area.
0: We'll get back to our conversation in just a minute. But first, a message from our sponsors. Hinkley is proud to be a fourth-generation family company with the mission of providing customers with exceptional lighting and ceiling fan products. They understand the passion their customers feel for their homes and are dedicated to helping them realize their vision. Learn more about the company, including some incredible charity
1: work they do, at Hinkley.com. Kitchler Lighting is more than just a lighting company. They're a bring people together company focused on strengthening and growing relationships. They're constantly innovating, creating on trend designs, and delivering high quality product. Learn more and find inspiration and ideas at Kitchler.com.
0: Well, another key aspect of these products that the ALA manufacturer submitted is, I would imagine, control, because you're talking about a product that can produce certain light levels in the morning and then other light levels at night. What needed to be considered there? I know, especially with LEDs and dimming, people have a lot of concerns with flicker. What did you see? Were there issues there?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Raelle, That that controls are really important for delivering high light levels in the morning and, and low light levels in the evening. The manufacturers took a range of approaches. Some used light bulbs, lamps that were smart bulbs that could be controlled by an app. So you could just push a button and have it simulate a morning mode versus an evening mode. That's what we used in our testing. One manufacturer had a special dimmer switch that they connected that would also be controllable wireless they buy an app that could schedule the light output mode and several of them that used those apps also had the ability to change the color of the light the tint of the color of the light from a warmish color to a coolish color or maybe the other way around maybe coolish in the morning and warm in the evening so about half of them had color tuning features with their products but that means about the other half were static white, usually a warmish white color, 3,000 K, to use a technical term, up to maybe 4,000 K. So you don't have to have really high color temperature, very sterile, bluish white light sources, 6,000 K, in order to stimulate your circadian system.
3: That's really an important point from a technical standpoint. I think we need to focus on that because if you're building a light fixture or a lamp. Color changing is nice. It's one of those great features of circadian lighting that kind of gives you a visual warning that something is happening, but you look out the window and it's it's the same kind of thing. So it's very natural, but it isn't essential because what you're after is a dose of light. And that dose of light, as Jen said, should be in the morning or early in the day. And then it, it tapers off in the afternoon. So it is intensity of light, it's color of light, it's duration of light. All of those things make up the dose. And so recognizing that, you could do a little trade-off. If you don't want color changing, that's fine. You could just add a few more lumens here and there and and still get the right dose or spend some more time in in a space or under a different kind of lighting system. So there's a lot of flexibility with this. And that's one of the reasons I think interior designers and others are in ALA really need to know about this because it's an opportunity to make spaces look different and act differently react differently to people as they go through their day and controls as you were saying are an integral part of it it it's almost like scenes in a theater you're always on stage and you can tune this lighting to what's the best for right now what am i doing what's going on here can i press this button or turn this knob and really optimize it and the answer is yes more than ever before and it's fun. It's really fun. This is not a lot of technology stuff. This is the way people want to live. They want the flexibility. And even older eyes, where you need more light typically and less glare, this is part of it. So it adds to the flexibility of residential lighting systems. And I, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, I think from like a design perspective, especially, people hear circadian lighting, they hear like high light levels in the morning, and they might think, oh, it needs to be like this sterile white, bright light. And I don't want that in my office or I don't want to bulb that color. And so the color tuning, yeah, is great if you want that. But if you prefer just that warmer glow, you don't have to have a bright white light in your face for these types of products to work.
2: We've shown that in in our research. And it's just it's nice to have a palette of options as a designer and as a homeowner to Work with the character of the space that you want in your home. Yeah. And, and so that kind of leads me to our next
0: point. I want to talk more about what we're doing with Better Light, Better Sleep at ALA. So some people might be aware, some may not, but we have a committee formed of manufacturers who participated in this initial round of the testing and the program And we've been working to develop how these products can be marketed, how our showrooms can sell these products, what kind of information they would need, what displays they would like, what kind of training they need. And that's really exciting that this is becoming a sales opportunity now for our showroom
3: members. I couldn't agree more, but Otis, too, we're also expanding the training for lighting controls. We're doing more of that as we feel our ALA members are going to get into well, smart homes, for example, and this fits right in with that, that additional training on controls. We need both. And yes, you can do it manually, but it's much more fun to do it with controls.
0: Yes, especially if you're getting to do it on your phone and, <laughs> and set things up and adjust them. I know my son likes to adjust the lights using my phone. <laughs> controls.
2: <laughs> Good. We'll bring him into the lighting industry. <laughs>
0: That's how it goes in this industry. (laughs) As we continue to work on this and develop opportunities for our showrooms to be more involved, what kind of do we see for the future of this program? Are we going to continue to work with manufacturers and test products? And what what do we see for the future here? Ideally, we obviously still have some
3: (laughs) technical aspects to work on. Well, certainly education is going to be a big part of it. And I think ALA, which is, of course, is known for its its educational programs and support for showrooms and, and just about every ALA member has taken a, an educational program of one kind or another, are going to find the information is there. ALA is going to support this. And, and that process has already begun with the help, I might add, of Jen and colleagues, because we want to get it right the first time. This is going to be something that Showroom people will, I think, be able to talk about freely and in an interesting way, just like they've talked about shades and colors and dimensions of light, as we've called it, and layers of light that have been so much a part of our industry. We just add this to it, and the educational program is the best way to go about it, and that's where ALA lives.
0: Yeah, and I I feel like we said this a lot in our first episode that we did two years ago, Jen, but... This is a relatively simple thing once you understand the basic concepts and the basic things that need to be met for these products and application.
2: Yes, that is going to be part of what I'm sure we'll be doing as a committee to to make sure that it's clear and approachable and not intimidating to the public to learn about how light can help with their body and help them sleep better and improve the environment of their home. That's a message that we'll be carrying through, I think, with the showrooms and in the general outreach with
0: the ALA. Just shifting gears, you mentioned that there were some ceiling-mounted fixtures. Is that right? Can you talk about that? Like Liz said, in our little brains that's not <laughs> that might not be adding up for it needs to be eye level so how do those ceiling mounted fixtures play into this
2: there were some manufacturers that decided to submit products that were mounted in the ceiling and if you think about it if we're trying to get light in our eyes then having it above us might not be as useful one manufacturer used a diffuser and then they would assume that it would be in front of the of their customer in a particular seating position say in their kitchen So if it was behind them, it would not be very useful. Another manufacturer had some downlights, and they assumed a very regular array of downlights, so a dense spacing of downlights. So that would be the way they would end up getting light at the eye. Just from any which way you would look, you would end up intersecting a beam of downlight. And let's see, there was a manufacturer that had a nice drum pendant. So it was rather a large drum pendant that was hanging in front of a person at, say, the dining room with their use case. So that's how they assumed that these kind of sides of the drum pendant ended up being the main diffuser sending light to the eye and then a little bit on the underside and a little bouncing off the ceiling. So it just it depends on what kind of products the each manufacturer has in their line and whether they're willing to develop something new. So there were a few really new products, especially ones that were portable where a person could position it close to them and they assumed a use case where maybe someone was working at a desk at the home office, say. So there were a few there that had uh, diffusers of some sort right in the normal line of vision. In terms of the wattage that they would have to spend in order to achieve light at the eye was probably less energy intensive than something a whole array of lights in the ceiling. So it just really depends on what kind of products and markets each manufacturer is targeting with their lines. If you think about the key concepts of bringing light to the eye, that's enough for manufacturers to think about how their products are used and how they could have maybe developed something new or adjust one of their existing products to comfortably deliver a lot of light to the eye in the morning. And then the morning time is the key criteria, and that's when you need the highlight levels, So that's when you have to worry more about glare as well. And then it's a lot easier just to dim it down to achieve the evening mode and, and off, of course, overnight.
3: How important was indirect lighting and the reflected light, because that seems so important when you control glare. Were any of the manufacturers interested in enhancing that, or did they come up with some clever ideas for that?
2: The main source was from the side of a diffuser, but there were two manufacturers that did have an uplight component. One of them had an individually switchable, they could have a downlight task light, and uplight and a side diffuser. And then during the evening, they would just turn off the side diffuser part and then have the up and the down on separately. So that was one uh, new prototype product we saw. And the other one was a large diffuser pendant where they didn't have separate control over various up, down, and sideways distributions. So it's, it's just a lot of opportunity for developing interesting new products. But it sounds like
1: these lights all seem like lights. You're not going to walk into somebody's house and say, oh, that's circadian lighting. So
2: (laughs) That's a good point. If it's good lighting design, it should be comfortable and not the analogy of orthotic shoes or something. It should be stylish (laughs) and elegant and comfortable to people and just look like your home. It's integrated as part of your home and not just some crazy kind of sciency looking thing that <laughs> <Right. laughs> just looks added to your home and then everyone's going to push it out of the way and it'll end up elsewhere. So yeah, so that's why it's really interesting that ALA manufacturers are interested in, in using their sense of style and design to integrate in, into our homes.
3: And nobody said that they should pack a light meter in with a lighting fixture product or anything like that, I suppose.
2: A light meter with their product? No, I don't think there was any kind of feedback mechanism from a light meter or anything like yes. that. In fact, a few of the manufacturers did not even have the ability to measure in their labs the glare component. So they said, we just looked around at it and we decided, oh, it doesn't look very glary. So we'll send it to Jen and see what she says with the numbers. Yeah. So we'll hopefully get them, some, encourage them to be able to measure before they put their products out, that they meet the key criteria that our committee are going to be establishing.
3: I think some people worry that is this is way too technical. Uh, But it's not, really. You don't need a light meter, and you don't need to worry about it uh, from a lighting design standpoint. You just have to understand the basic rules of bright days and dim nights and act accordingly. It becomes part of the interior design.
2: So the idea is that the products will be measured as part yeah. of the development process, but then as long as people use them in the way the manufacturer says, here's how you need to use our product, then you should just be able to comfortably go ahead and use it and not keep continuously remeasuring light levels in your house.
1: Admit it, Terry, you wish they all came with light meters. so people that would... <laughs> came through, didn't it? So... It did, it really
0: did.
3: <laughs> I've got my light meter right here, ready to use I
0: believe you. <laughs> It's exciting for Terry's world to get to mesh with the design. It's diverse products. It's not that complicated once these certain criteria are met. And then it's a huge opportunity, I think, for manufacturers to develop products, for showrooms to sell them, and for consumers to benefit from them. Mm -hmm. It's exciting. If people want to, you know, take a deeper dive back into the circadian lighting, please go back and listen to that original episode. But as far as the testing results that we have from the Better Light, Better Sleep program, is that available for people to view?
2: I'll just say that we compiled an anonymous report because it was really the first step as we're going through the process for the manufacturers to try this out for themselves. So we did compile a report for ALA, leadership and the manufacturers to review. I think as a committee, we'll be working on what kind of continuous outreach will be necessary between manufacturers that develop these products and verifying testing and so forth. But if someone's interested, please contact Terry McGowan for access to that report.
3: We're glad to make that report available. And always, as we go through this, I think one of the interesting things the committee is doing is how do we make sure that people understand that this is a product you use in this way? Is there a a way we can identify it, for example? Identification of a circadian lighting product kind of gives legitimacy, what's been tested, what's been thought about and designed for this sort of thing. So we're working on how best to tell that story It's not a new story. We've done things like this before in the residential lighting industry. We did it for study lamps years ago, for example, and that was quite a nice program and promotion that really ensured that you had enough light when you were reading a book and studying and doing math at home so that this product performed as it was supposed to. And we can do that again. And. How to figure that out and how to make it all work is is one of the exciting ways that this committee is working. And I'm amazed at the clever ideas that have already come forth. So we're looking forward to moving along. And I'm hoping we can start talking about the exact types of products and how they're going to be used and sold and some of those ideas uh, very soon.
0: Me too. It's really exciting stuff. Thank you guys so much for joining us today.
3: Glad to do it. And here we are ready to enter the age of circadian lighting in the home. Mm-hmm it'll be worth taking advantage of.
0: Absolutely.
1: So my question is, when can I walk into a store and buy one of these?
0: Yeah, I think really soon. Terry touched on it, but we have that marketing committee that's working on developing a way for manufacturers who have met the criteria and tested their products for those criteria to effectively label that. And then we are also, like we said, working to develop a sales tools for showrooms to be able to communicate this to their customers. I definitely think we're going to see that coming out in 2024, and I can't wait to see what it looks like.
1: Stay tuned. We will certainly not be silent on the topic when everything does roll out. So keep an eye out.
0: Yeah, we have more guests that are involved in this that I would like to to bring in to talk about what they've done, especially from the marketing and design perspective of the product. So stay tuned. Thanks again
1: to our sponsors, Hinkley and Kitchler Lighting, and we will
0: see you next time. Stay brilliant!